Welcome back and good morning. Good morning. Morning. Hola. Yes. Did everybody leave or finish the lesson from last week? Lesson five, calling sin by its right name. That's all right. Yeah, that's all right. Because uh, the second half of this lesson is just a little bit deeper than kind of where we left things off. Last week we talked about obviously the different kinds of laws. We went through five classifications and discussed that a little bit. But on page 57, we kind of ended last week with this question the author asks in the top paragraph. So, if God does not get angry and punish us in some way if we disobey his law, then what can we expect if we ignore or refuse to follow his law? That's where we left it, that question. So, before we read ahead and see how the, an the lesson answers it, you know, what does Christianity say the answer to that question is? Or Adventism or, you know, most other people who don't, claim to be a part of any church or religion, yet still have this understanding about God? How do people typically answer that? Well, I think it's usually in the term of relationship. If you have a solid relationship with God, you are what you behold. So if you are walking with God, you will naturally fall into line with the laws because you cannot, it's like magnets, you can't, when you reverse the polarity or, you know, they, 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 they want to, you know, bound from each other. And it's like you, you don't want to hang out with something that you don't normally, I guess, involve yourself with. It's uncomfortable. So when you walk with God, you're naturally going to be in line with the laws that he set forth. Mm. And I think a lot of Christianity builds on relationships. Mm -hmm. including Adventism mm -hmm. but it's 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 you know it's something that it's kind of you know when we get to heaven we all have to get along and there's a certain modality that people need to act with in order for them for there's in order for there to be harmony said well said Galatians 6 7 and 8 says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Is that verse really clear, or is it kind of complex to understand what he's talking about? You reap what you sow. I think that makes pretty clear. Mm -hmm. Right. So, the someone read the third, I guess the third paragraph there. He kind of gets into some really interesting analogies talking about this concept. Uh, the law of gravity is an example of this. The law of gravity is God's law. He put it into place and serves for our good. But if a man ignored the law of gravity and jumped off and jumped out an airplane at 12,000 feet without a parachute, he would be killed. Was God punishing him because he violated his law? No, he died because the natural effect of the law of gravity caused him to be pulled rapidly to the earth with such force. He could not survive the impact. His death would be the natural consequence of violating law, following the law of gravity, not because God punished him for disobedience. So we've talked about that analogy a lot over the years. But the following paragraph is kind of really interesting. I think this is where we're going to end up with some really good conversations. It's the same whether it be physical or moral law. 
If we ignore or refuse to abide by God's moral law as stated in the Ten Commandments, bad things happen as the result. For example, he gives a couple examples there. If a man commits adultery, his wife gets hurt. If we bear false witness against our neighbor, our neighbor gets hurt. And every time someone violates one of these moral principles, it hurts God because it hurts us. What do you think about that, Angel? Good idea. That the moral law is not arbitrary, it's design law. lost my train of thought. It'll come back to you. Yeah, I mean, it's... What, what you were reading about, you know, like, like, like uh, actions have consequences. You know? Um, years ago, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, like, people used to live healthier because the the traditional home would, would be like where the mom always cook, you know, had cook, cook, home cooked meals, family would sit down on a table and stuff, you know, and go out and then play or, or whatnot. You know, I, I think it, a lot of that, like, like people want to blame other things for their misfortune, but sometimes people actually do cause their own misfortune. Like, like if, if you if you're gonna eat McDonald's every day or whatever or any type of junk food or fast food, you know, it's gonna affect your health. You know, and and, and and you know, like there's a lot of you know, people say, Well, how could you know, God cause somebody to have cancer or whatever that no, it's 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 the person himself, the way he took care of his body and his health. That's what caused the cancer. You know, if you're not feeding your body the right nutrients, then your body's going to break down. It's just like the car. You know, if you don't change the oil every, you know, the um, car's going to break down. It's just like your body. You know? Mm-hmm. So. Well, you look at the attributes of God, right? And we've been studying about Jesus for a long time. And when you look at the Ten Commandments and just taking those ten rules, you you see the character of Christ in those ten rules. He's basically describing who he is. He doesn't murder. He doesn't steal. He, he, he doesn't go around telling other people bad things about you. You know what I mean? He, he's just an up, he, he's an upright character. And so when we all get to heaven, there's not going to be deadbolts on our doors, on our mansions. Right. So a thief won't really fit in. A murderer won't fit in. Right. And so it's kind of like this is, if you jive with this, then you'll, you're going to jive with heaven. So, the bottom paragraph I underlined that the author said there are natural and unpleasant consequences that follow every violation of the moral law of God. And I would say that if a person doesn't agree with that and they think that, because this is common, I think. A lot of people say this. Um, yeah, the natural laws are design laws of God, but the moral law from the Ten Commandments, that's imposed. And you say, okay, then test it. Test it and see. Like, okay, so if you don't get caught, 
Go steal. Go kill somebody. Go cheat on your wife. Go go bear a false witness and lie about something. Like, go test it. And most everyone will say, well, um, um, I don't actually think I want to do that. Because, because everybody knows. Like, it's, you know? Like, I think that that's, there's definitely something to be said about that. And that's where the author here talks about Paul turning the page into 1 Corinthians 10.23. Someone read that for us. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Right? You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's going to be actually good for you or beneficial or helpful or good for someone else. Because there are, there are principles that God built and created life to operate that they're either in harmony with life and love or they're not. That's why that's why we all here in this room go 10, 15, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. We can do whatever we want. And if there's nobody around and, and, and no one gets caught, there's no problem. Because because what can PennDOT do at any point in time? They could change the speed limit. 45 to 55 or back to 45, whatever. Doesn't matter. But take that into something that's more relational how God designed life to work, that's a whole different story. You know? And those, okay. and those laws were like the rules, the road and stuff. It's, it's a roadmap to keeping people safe. Right. Because they were going to know, you know, on the speed limit, then people would go on 100, 120, whatever, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and they're just going through red lights and stuff. And, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, Interesting. Check this out. And this might turn into an interesting conversation. I'm, I'm hoping it does. Um, note carefully the next two verses. Someone read Ecclesiastes 8 through 11. In that paragraph. And then Numbers 32, 23. In that paragraph. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily... Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Some people think that if some sort of consequence does not follow soon after, they have committed some wrong act that they have gotten by with it. But note what the next verse says. Do you want me to continue? Sure, go ahead. Yeah. Numbers 32, 23. But if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. We can count on it. The consequences of our sin will come. It may be years, but sooner or later it will find you out. And the only way to stop the consequences of sin is to stop the sin. And that, of course, is the big challenge for us. What do you think of that? So, true story. Uh, ooh, a couple of our lesson students here came to me, what, a month ago? And they're teenagers who shall not be named. And they said, we stole a road sign. We went to a neighborhood and we stole a road sign. Are you proud of us? And I said, no. <laughs> Why not? We got away with it. I'm like, but did you get away with it? Yeah. But don't tell anybody. <laughs> Why can't I tell someone? Well, because we don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> right? So they didn't quite catch... But did they get away with it? No. 
there's fear. They don't want to be found out. Like, in that fear that they didn't want to be found out wasn't there prior to them doing that, making that decision. You know? So it actually turned into some really interesting conversations, like, following up from that, too. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. But what do you guys think of that, what the author said there? Like, some people think that if some sort of consequence does not follow soon after they've committed a wrong act, that they've gotten away with it. And how he connects that with Ecclesiastes 8. Seth? I think it's interesting how in the verse numbers, um, sin is personified. <clears throat> it will find you out. Interesting. And so, um, I just think that's interesting. Well, just think about the lifestyle. So, if you you stole this sign, right? And now you've got this perpetual guilt over your head for a long time. Longer than you should ever think about something. And so, when you live a lifestyle of this, nothing good is going to come out of it. Right. right. You're, I mean, I've had friends that, that have been interesting, you know, interestingly uh, juvenile for long periods of time and juvenile things find them. I mean, I think, I think that there are... Angel had his hand up. Let's go okay. Angel and then Joe and then you can follow up that. Hey. <clears throat> I remember when uh, yeah, that movie uh, Passion of Christ came out. Mm-hmm. Some guy... Uh, so the movie and he had a, he had he had previously in the past killed somebody gotten away with it you know it's like you commit something that you, you know it's wrong and you think you're gonna you know you get away with it but for, first of all that guilt is gonna pester over you for uh, until you get fined out or you pay the consequence you know but that guy like that guy killed somebody and and he was actually relieved that he didn't have that guilt anymore and he was willing to pay the consequence of what he did in, in his past life. You know, it, it, it's going to find you out. You're, not, you're never going to get away with it. And eventually, years down the road or months or weeks or days, it's going to find you out. You know, you cannot get away with it. And, and if you think you can get away with it from the human, you know, get away with it, God's still going to know what you did. Show you have comment? Oh, no, I mean, it's just this whole thing of me becoming my father. I say that a lot. And, um, you know, so this kid's still on street sign. I don't know, big scheme of things. Is that a bad thing? I, I, I'm not going to answer whether it's good or bad. But when this kid's going to be, uh, you know, 15, 20 years down the road, or 35, 40 years old driving down the road, and they go, where's that stop sign? I got kids in the car. Somebody took the stop sign. Boom. You know, maybe they took the stop sign this year when they're 16 years old. It doesn't affect them as bad, but when they get older, you know, their their thinking's going to change. Mm-hmm. And they're going to see, huh, oh, those dang kids were stealing the sign. And when he goes home that day, he opens his garage, guess what he's got hanging in his garage? The stop sign that he stole 20 years prior. Mm-hmm. He's going to be like, ah, oh, so. <laughs> oh, right. Could be something like that could happen with that example. Yeah. I was just going to respond to what Mark was saying. I I think that even in like a dark period of somebody's life or like the darkest rock bottom, I think that there is still good things in life. Like 
like you said that nothing good will come out of that lifestyle but like yeah i mean they're not going to be they're not going to be like actively making things good for themselves but they'll still be good things in that life because otherwise you're making an argument that their life isn't worth anything because it's mm. that's i was just making that distinction i guess well it's it, it's it's a matter of just to be real quick is that you know it's like being in a in a, a pool you're told not to pee in the pool mm-hmm. but you pee in it anyway depending on how much you pee in it depends on how nasty your pool becomes so life is very much the same kind of way where it's like if you keep dabbling in that kind of thing you're going to get a lot of guff back sure This just reminds me of something, and if I could share, and I'll be real quick about it. Okay. There was a story I read once, and uh, and basically in this story, how it goes, is there were two young girls, and the one was well-to-do, and the other one wasn't, but kind of came along for the ride, and they were going to some big special event, and the one really didn't have as much stuff to like make herself look nice or whatever and so the wealthy friend loaned her a pearl necklace and she they went to the dance or whatever it is that they went to and when she got back it broke and instead of telling her friend i broke your necklace she was just so beside herself that she got together with another friend and they figured out well we need to repay her for it so she had to work and work and finally got the money together and i guess she some of that was ahead of time uh, you know they maybe gave her uh, an advance or whatever and they bought her this necklace and she never knew mm. she never knew that it wasn't the original necklace mm. and um well for the rest of her life this friend had a very hard life always behind on bills because she she had to keep making up for this you know small untruth that she didn't tell whether she would have told her i think would have made a big difference in her life but she had to keep working and years later they met up again they lost track or whatever and here the one is still wealthy, doing well, and the other one's really had a hard life, looks older, looks really, you know, rough and everything. And, and you know, and the one brought up the, the dance. You remember when we went to that dance all those years ago? And, and then the friend he said, yeah, and she goes, I have something to tell you. And she told her, mm-hmm. you know, I broke your necklace. After all this time, I broke your necklace and uh, I bought a new one and all that. You know what the friend said? It was costume jewelry. It wasn't worth much. You've spent your entire life working for something that wasn't. If, if she had just told her, right? It been pla- it, it was plastic. It was nothing anyway. Right. right. It was I nothing anyway. She would have probably just put it behind her or whatever. And and the reason for the story is to right. think, you know, you have an easy way out. Okay. Just tell the truth. Right, but you have an easy way out, and instead of facing the music, you decide to go a different re- direction, and it is affecting your life perpetually. So, anyway. Jordan Peterson has this really cool quote, and we could tie it back into the lesson, which I love it. And he, he says, like, tread carefully 
in life, like, you know, walk carefully as you move forward in life because he said, if your life's a mess and especially if it's a deceptive mess, like you're not telling the truth, mm -hmm. then one day you'll be called to account for all of that and you'll experience pain that you can't even imagine in the moment. And he just talks about that whole idea. And I just, it, I just thought of that, you know, it kind of plays with that whole idea and, and it's, you know, What is that? I think Jennings has this cool quote as well. You can never avoid the truth, only delay the day you have to deal with it. <laughs> nice. Right? Nice right? So the longer you keep avoiding dealing, dealing with the truth, the more painful it's going to be. And eventually you get, you know, as we understand the law of worship, which the lesson actually brings it up here on page 59, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So if we're beholding a deceptive lifestyle, then we become more deceptive. We're changed, and eventually we get to a point where we're not even receptive to the truth because we we have changed. Mm -hmm. Whereas if we live a lifestyle where, to your story, Lola, we're facing the music, we're being honest, we're being truthful, even knowing that this might suck for a while, then we become more like Christ because God is the source of truth. God is the source of life. I like how he says, you know, like the goal of our life is to be like Jesus. Like that's our target. And so he brings up the point that sin is like missing the mark. You know, the Bible talks about too, we've fallen short, missing the mark. And so what's the mark? What's the target that we're trying to get to? And he brings that up, that Jesus is the target, having a, a life, a, a character like Jesus. Um, did anything stand out to you guys on page 59 before we flip over? Anything else? I think, uh, you know, the, the third paragraph down, of, you know, lifelong process. Mm -hmm. Ain't going to happen overnight. Correct. Got to stay with them. Yeah. Uh, let's pick it up at the very bottom page of 59. Let's read that them two lines, and then we'll flip the page and read a little bit more. Um, this, that is awesome. And it is true that during the lifelong process of change, we may from time to time fall short and miss the mark. We will not do everything perfectly right. But if we continue to listen to the Spirit speaking to our hearts and allow Him to continue to work that transformation in us, we are accepted by God, just as if we were perfectly righteous, like his son. In this way, we are not under the law, but rather we agree with the law. That's kind of what you were saying, Mark. We agree that the moral law is good, and we will not willfully rebel against it. Pause for a second. Did anything in that paragraph make your spidey sense tingle? As we're learning about God, God's character, the kind of person he is, was there anything in there that made you think, hmm, does that sound okay? Well, let's unpack this. The middle sentence there in that paragraph, uh, at the top of the page, we will not do everything perfectly right. Pay attention to this. But if we continue to listen to the Spirit speaking to our hearts and allow Him to continue to work that transformation in us, we are accepted by God. What is the opposite of that? How do you read that? Depending on your view of law and your view of God, how would you read that? Now, I'm not in any way 
discrediting or undermining or doubting the author's heart or his intention, right? But depending on how you view God, how do you read that? The thief on the cross was not that much of a changed individual. Yeah. He didn't live long enough to change. Yeah. So God met him where he was at. Correct. Those of us that have been in the church for a long time, walk the city, walk this, that, and the other, and, and it's it's one of those things where I think more is going to be asked of those that have. I I think I think it's it's kind of like you know. There is hope for the murderer on death row, but there's also hope for the Christian that doesn't understand what they read. But this idea, though, and here's the point I'm trying to bring out. The idea, though, is as long as you continue to do things, then God will accept you. Mm-hmm. Is that true, though? I don't know. I think I'm going to say something maybe not quite appropriate here, but I am going to say it. I've read someplace where Ted Bundy was, uh, he, he was a, Evidently, he was a Christian, and he was forgiven by the time he died. Um, so us humans have a way of screwing things up, a really good way in how we think about things. We have we, we think totally different than God. We're we're completely different for whatever reason, selfishness, whatever, fear, what you know, any of those things. And this is where this is where something like this gets really interesting because I. I because I, I highlighted the next paragraph, the first mm-hmm. sentence of the paragraph, back to First John three seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, we keep it because we're it's natural for us to behave according to the, the principles of unselfish love. Uh, because when you know we'll use a we'll use an earthly law, a man law. Speed limit is thirty miles an hour. I'm used to doing forty five fifty, so I'm used to doing. I got a ticket. I'm still used to doing forty five thirty. It's forty five fifty. Oh, got another speeding ticket. Yeah, one day it's going to be where I'm just going to hit that road and go, you know, it's feeling this 30. I'm going to do 30 through here. I've, I've, I've succumbed to man's law on this road. But also, too, when we talk about uh, with, with God and, and, the, and the law of love and what's right and what's wrong, you know what? We're all, we all will screw up. No, you know, we're, none of us are perfect. None of us. I mean, as far as I know, we're not. And, you know, there's going to be... We hope there's going to be a day or a time within our, our character that we're able to you know, just be be right and just just the thing to make the right decision is going to be natural at that point to steal from the sentence. So tie that in though to that idea: as long as we're doing the right things, then we are accepted by God. Is that a? Because that's the point here that the author's kind of bringing up: as long as we are diligent and continue to do the work that transforms us. We are accepted by God. So we don't have to be perfect. You have to continually have your walk. Well, we've got our hand up. We can. Okay. So growing up mm-hmm. in a Christian environment, and this may be what I thought, but I always thought the goal was to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And it was always difficult, and it was always hard, and I would always look like other people did it so much better than I did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it came to raising kids, I didn't raise them as perfectly as they raised their kids. Or at least what I felt in my heart. Mm-hmm. And God knows in our human form, we will never be perfect. Mm-hmm. 
But what he's saying is, if you continue to choose me, I will accept you. So mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to mess up. But you turn around and say, you know what? That wasn't right. So the goal <laughs> isn't perfection. The goal is, you know what? I want to please God. I want to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And that's why it becomes agreeable to us. Mm -hmm. Because now it's not this bar that's been set so far up here. Mm -hmm. It's something attainable if we choose. For me, and I'm not suggesting at all, again, I love the study and I support the author when he put this thing together. However, for me, this rubbed me very much the wrong way because the way this is worded, it's super subtle and the and it supports that idea is as long as we do things and we're consistent, then God will accept us. Mm -hmm. But if we stop doing things, then God won't accept us. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that at all because that that means that that supports the penal legal view of God that like your acceptance is determined by God's decision, not your own. And that's not actually biblical. And and I just wanted to kind of point out where the author here two pages prior in Galatians 6, he said, don't be deceived. God's not mocked for whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh, and he goes on and on and on, on. So in other words, the result isn't determined by God's choice. It's determined by your choice. And there's evidence that, like for the, Mark, I'll get to you, Mark, as soon as I'm done with my monologue. <laughs> you got me on a rant here. The evidence of that is this. Look at Jesus' life. In Matthew 26, verse 50, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's done praying, and Judas is coming with the whole mob to arrest him. If you read Matthew 26, 50, can we all agree that Judas stopped continuing the work of transformation? Can we all agree to that? Maybe Judas never even entered into the work of transformation of this growth process that we're talking about. Okay? However, Judas walks into the garden, leading the mob. He walks right up to Jesus. The first thing that Jesus said to him is, friend, do what you came for. You don't accept somebody. Why would you call him friend? So here's a guy who is betraying Jesus, is no longer working the perpetual work of transformation. He's actually coming to betray Jesus, and Jesus, God, accepts him. Friend, what you got to do? Mark. Judas wasn't lost then. Judas was lost when he went and hung himself on that tree. He his, his his moment where he was no longer workable was not when he re, re, received those 30 pieces of silver. It's when he went and ended his life in, in that moment of misery. Judas, I don't think, will be in heaven. So if I'm understanding you, you're applying, though, then that the people who are lost aren't accepted by God. The people who are lost are going to be people who do not jive with God's character and that do that reject right. Jesus. Right, but the point, the, the question that has arisen for me in this study is are they, did, does God not accept them? And, and I'm going to, I'm going to die on this hill. He does. Because if you look at Revelation, there's the whole like depiction of when the when the city of Jerusalem, after the millennia, a thousand years, we'll get into that later on in this lesson. It's way down the road. However, 
the city lands, planet Earth, and Satan says he rallies all the evil to come attack the city. And Revelation clearly says that the gates of the city are open. So even in the end, when there's countless multitude of lost, God still has open arms and open gates and saying, I accept you. If you choose to just walk in, I'm not keeping you out. I am not keeping you out. Which means, I accept you. Mark. I, I think that the whole battle between good and evil is what direction do you get up in when you fall down? Do you keep going down the spiral or do you look up? And I think that's the beginning of that decision. The people that keep spiraling down, you know, God says, you will drink my wrath. He will walk away from you. And it's, it's in my mind, that's a very real thing. Um, I've seen it in people's lives, parallel lives that I've seen, you know, people walk, you know, mm -hmm. of good or ill. And, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, a, a preacher goes and commits murder turns into an atheist and is into, you know, just death, death metal, all that kind of stuff. Just into just more, more morbidity and dies of a heart attack. You think he's going to be in heaven. And again, the point isn't if a person grows or, or chooses to not grow, right? If they, if they, to your example, like that's not at all what I'm getting at. What I'm getting at is it's so ingrained in our minds this idea that we are unacceptable to God because that's this lie about God that we read a lesson here and we read past that sentence that says if you don't continue then you're then as long as you do this then you're accepted by God and we say yeah that that sounds right it sounds like a works type thank thing. you Lola exactly it does not look it doesn't make God look good and I also based on Jesus life and the rest of the Bible like I for me, I just wanted to bring it out to say, like, we can read a study that's awesome. We can read this sentence and we just move right on. We keep going. But it's so subtle that it makes God out to look like it's works. As long as you do the right stuff and you continue doing the right stuff, then you're accepted. And that's not true about God. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes in him, right? But believing kind of bring that out. also brings behavior. You so, can, you know. Continue. Sarah, I think, has a comment on it. She's been quiet for quite a while. And I don't want to spend all of our time debating this, right? Because it's a hot topic, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, well, I guess... Was, uh, yeah. The way that, like, I look at, you know, like how, you know, whether he accepts us or doesn't accept us or our works versus you know like I, I see it as I can love somebody I can accept somebody um, but if they continually choose to do things that hurt the relationship right they go against love right and unselfishness right then I can still love them and accept them, but I do not, it would be unreasonable and unsafe for me to continue to let them bring that into my life, right? Like, I think that, you know, for 
you know, from the standpoint of salvation, like, if somebody is truly, like, committed to continuously going against, you know, healthy and godly behaviors, then, like, it's not God, right, that's kicking them out or not allowing them in, right? It's their own behaviors. It's their own choices. But, like, those rules are there, right? Like, if those behaviors, right, which then point to a, a heart issue, if those behaviors are there and you've, you know, repeated them many times, so it's not just an accident, Mm -hmm. right? It's not just something, oh, I really messed up. Mm -hmm. Then, like, it would be unreasonable to allow that into, not because God is keeping that out of heaven. It's their own choice, repeated choice, to go against the principles of what God stands for. And, you know, like, like I believe, like, those kind of, those people that participate in those activities, like, would not be happy in heaven. Right? right, like, I mean, right. that's the bottom line, right? So, yeah. yeah. And if you hold, if you hold that belief, as long as I'm doing the right things and I'm accepted by God, that is a fear-based belief that produces fear because you right. live your life. Am I doing right. enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Yeah, Angel, I think Angel has a hand up, and then we should probably keep moving on the lessons. They're very straightforward. <clears throat> I think people that reject or are lost truly have lost the moral compass and keep rejecting the word, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And then trying to drive all the people to follow them, mm-hmm. to try to destroy God's creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be happy being, you know. Right. And that's a result of their own choice. Exactly. Not a result yeah. of God's choice. Correct. It's a result of their own choice. <clears throat> yeah, it's, yes. it's what they want to do. And, you know, if, if I'm condemned, so be it. But I'm going to take some people with me. <clears throat> Moving down here, um, let's let's move on here. To the, the lesson brings up this idea of love. And he's talking about the commandments, the Ten Commandments. And then he brings out this really interesting point because we all have Christian friends that we've had conversations with that say, well, the Ten Commandments were done away with. I think we've all had these conversations. Or, or have heard that. Um... That's only for the Israelites who didn't know anything. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Not me. So what do you think? The author brings it. We'll just kind of summarize that whole page there. The author kind of brings out that idea that there were many laws of the Old Testament given, including the Ten Commandments, and then there's a pyramid. Above that, love God and love others, because some apostles in Matthew 22 came to Jesus and asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. The first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do these. On these two commandments, hang everything else. But then as you go deeper in Scripture, in Galatians 5, Paul writes, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Like, unpack all of that. What do you guys think of that idea? So, I think it's easy to look at, if you do look at love at the top of the pyramid, as you say, so let's go down to the Ten Commandments. Where does law apply? Love. How do we apply love to all? Do not lie. Yeah, if you love the person, you're not going to lie to them. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Yeah, if you, if you love your wife your, or whoever, you're not going to covet. Do not murder. Well, if you love life, you're not going to... You know, so love can apply to all of those. 
all the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, the idol, do not believe in a false idol. If you love me, you're not. Look, that sounds rules based there, right there. But but if you're gonna love a don't if you're gonna love a false idol, then you can't love me because you're gonna love you know refer to God. So love okay. obviously. I, I think love applies to all the Ten Commandments. I don't think there's another word that can apply to all ten. Unless you're going to get into rules. And the Ten, the ten Commandments were actually the, the, the first four or whatnot. It was basically love of God. The other commandments is love of your neighborhood. Love of your neighbor. Yeah. yeah. So so Jesus said, yeah, love. the, the first commandment is love thy God. The second one is love thy neighbor. Which means he just he just pretty much described the Ten Commandments. So because the first four was for God, mm -hmm. and the other ones were for basically your neighbor. Love. True love is others focused. So if you look through all of that, you're always putting yourself last. You know. You're always putting others forward. Right. And, you know, if you look at that in the law, then you clearly would, you know, they would make sense for you because, you know, you wouldn't want to right. do any of those things right. because that would hurt someone else. I have this really interesting analogy just hit my head. And if we tell a three-year-old, go get a bath, Go to shower. What's a three-year-old gonna say? What's a shower? How do I do that? Mm -hmm. So we say, here's how you take a shower. You get wet, and then we actually wash them. You do your hair, then you close your eyes, rinse your hair. Okay, now get between your fingers, between your toes, put your armpits, right? We actually show them the steps of how to take a shower. Okay, but now that we're mature adults, we don't need those steps. We just know how to get a shower, and we take a shower. That's exactly what I see Jesus doing in the Old Testament. Because remember, slave, 450 years. If God says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, uh, what is that, and how do I do it? So God says, here's how you do it. You worship God. You don't steal. You don't lie. You wash between your fingers. You close your eyes, right? Close your eyes so you don't get soap in your eyes. In other words... Don't commit adultery or something. You know what I'm saying? We can tie it to all of those pieces. But in, in, as we grow up, we mature. And that's when Jesus can say, love God, love your neighbor. The rest, that's what it's all about. Oh, I know how to do that. It makes sense. And then when you're really mature, as adults, you can just tell somebody, just keep yourself clean. You don't even have to use the word take a shower or wash your hair. You just keep yourself clean. And we, oh, I know what that means. That encompasses a whole lot more than just getting a shower. And that's what you see Paul saying in Galatians there. Just love. Love your neighbor. Just... Uh, page 62. Interesting quote there. James 4.17. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And this is re referencing to the original question of this whole lesson as we're kind of wrapping it up. What exactly is sin? Therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, when you look at that, uh, 
that verse, I do like that they put him as in lowercase. Mm. That means self, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I commit something, I, I know it's right to do what's right and wrong and I don't do it, then I myself know that it's a sin. Mm. And I myself will, will, I don't know, you know, what's the word? Not punish, but, you know, I, I will put myself up to that, right. you know. Yeah, I think it's it's very important that uh, to me, it's, I'm just having this epiphany today about the human element versus God's element. Cool. It's really making me struggle. Um, for personal reasons, um, so so therefore to him that knows do good. So so if I'm going down the road and I see a child starving. I don't have any money on me, so I walk in a store and I lift a loaf of bread. <laughs> Is that a sin? To feed these people? So, and I know that sounds like a very simple, childish way of looking at it. So, it, it, there, it, the, the, the human element sucks. It really does, because I'm judging what you're doing. You're judging what I'm doing. You've mm-hmm. judged what I've said and done. Even though you're going to do it out of love, but who are you to judge my actions because of something that I've done? Who am I to judge your actions? We have to look at the end result. Unfortunately, and and I know that it's the end result. It's going to be what God speaks that matters most. Not what you think or you think what I think about, you know. So I'm I'm kind of really, I'm I'm, I'm I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm babbling right now. Because something happened this week, which is just, uh, I just want to throw my arms up and give up. So, You know, it's interesting when you say that, and, I, and, I, and I'm always thankful that we have the most perfect judge. And, and I say that loosely because, you know, I know he's not judging us in the way that yeah. we have been taught all our lives sure. that he's judging us. Yeah. You know, uh, because he sees our whole picture right he doesn't see the snippet that your neighbor or your friend or your coworker or whatever they see one action and they think it's oh that's just terrible did you see what such and such did you know or 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 whatever it is you know and 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 in that you know i feel like he sees your beginning your reasoning your why of what and he, you know, is able to see your heart in it through it all. So, you know, I just, I just look at the big picture or I try to see God looking at the big picture. And, and I focus on that because you're right. Everyone's going to pick and pick and pick. And it's, you can't think about that. You know, even though it's hard, you can't focus on that because it's never going to be right. They don't know your story. They don't know, <coughs> you know? <laughs> so to kind of, to kind of, you have a point here and then we'll think what's in this verse. Yeah, I think this verse strongly implies that sin, in some ways, obviously there are some like hard fast rules, but I think sin in some ways is individual to that person. Right? Yeah, so your level of understanding determines 
what would be sin for you at that point, right? What God would look at and be like, yeah, like, that, you know better, mm-hmm. right? Like, you have, right? So, well you know, said. Right, well it, said. It says that yeah. those that knows to do good. So that implies that there, will pe- there are people that don't know to do good, and so they don't do good, and that means that that may not be a sin for them because they don't know better. That in the scripture, it actually kind of supports exactly what you said because in the Old Testament sanctuary system, the only people who could eat the, the bread on the table of showbread in the temple were the priests. They were the only ones lawful to eat it. But David ate the shoe bread when it was not lawful for him to eat it. Okay? It was a sin to eat the bread if you weren't a priest. David ate the bread and he was fine. And then later on in the New Testament, Paul talks about a person who is weak in the faith or immature may say that eating vegetables is a sin or eating meat is a sin, but someone who's mature in their faith knows they can eat whatever they want. He goes into this whole process of let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind. And I think this is exactly what you're talking about, Sarah, in James 14. Let, therefore, to him that knows to do good and does not do it, let it be sin to him because he's violating his own conscience. I think that's what 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says. Right. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Right. So... It's not about, like, okay, like, what's wrong for me may not be wrong necessarily for somebody else that's not in the same place I am. Exactly. Well said. Well said. So to kind of wrap the lesson up here, because we're at our time, I underlined one line, one sentence here on the bottom of page 63. God will help you overcome, and while it is true we have a sinful nature and are prone to sin or selfishness, according to the Bible, God can fix all that is wrong in us. God is healer. He can fix all that is wrong in us. And just to kind of tie it all in, Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Final comment, Joe. No. Um, you good? I'm seething. Seething. This has been a tough one, huh? Let's just read the final paragraph here because the next the next time we pick up these conversations, we'll be starting Lesson 6, which is titled Understanding Forgiveness. And Angel, you actually alluded to this earlier in a comment you made. Many are concerned and worried about God's forgiveness of their sin. Some are concerned about the unpardonable sin. You mentioned that earlier, Angel. Worried that they may have committed and not know it. We will take a closer look at forgiveness and the unpardonable sin in the next lesson. A lot there, too. Could uh, someone be willing to close your prayer for us? Sure. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Sabbath day. Thank you for bringing us here together. Thank you for allowing us to talk about your word and understand it better and hopefully be able to chew some of it off and apply it in our lives or understand it better throughout the week. Thank you so much for all you do. We ask the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well said. Understand it better throughout the week. Because we (laughs) move is like...